This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this January 4th, we welcome you to Real Talk. It's Wednesday. Already Wednesday. Feeling pretty good on this short week back. Nice to have John Hicks riding shotgun. Hello there. John, you've always made big contributions to the show, but this morning I shall describe you as the new and improved. (laughs) John Hicks with your vitamins and your supplements and your protein shake and your fresh banana. Uh, you, you look uh, <laughs> right out of the cover of uh, of some sort of a, a magazine. Like I'm thinking like sort of like a fitness magazine it's where the person on the front there. <laughs> we're wondering about what they do for their skin routine and their, how is their smile so white and how do they have it all together? And it's wonderful to see you living such a good example. Thank you so much. For I, the rest of us. And the epitome of health after two workouts in uh, 2023. Feel pretty good. Hey, but they say, what is, what is it? Something like, uh, I think, 30 days. Mm-hmm. I, I'm recycling this from a T-shirt or something like that. But but you repeat something for 30 days and then it becomes a habit. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, for the rest of your life, you'll be experiencing fitness and good fortune. Right? Yeah. Well, th- it's funny because those first couple workouts, you're like, yeah, I'm a machine. I'm an animal. Nobody can stop me. Are you feeling the pain? In the, oh, like, God. are you being reminded of muscle groups that you forgot? Yeah, my existed? wife is doing this too, and she did a le- she picked a leg workout for the first one, which you're supposed to do legs on Monday, right? Get it out of the way. It gets all the testosterone going through you. I was like, no, I'm just going to do some cardio, yeah. do some shoulders, some arms. But she couldn't walk up the stairs this morning. I so. would recommend. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I think that like you know the the official trainer of Real Talk Graham Duty might disagree with this assessment. Oh, but I, I would moved. I would suggest yeah he did move to Calgary. Oh. It's, uh, he he he's uh, he texted me yesterday and he said which which week of clean living are you choosing for January, Jespo? <laughs> and then I got a text this morning at about ten after six that said you still haven't answered me about which week you're going to be clean living. And I went yeah yeah yeah. Uh, but I was gonna I was gonna say uh, if I was training you, John, I would recommend you only work the muscle groups that you would like to bulge under your clothing. Mm-hmm. So just just become like a pex biceps and shoulders guy <laughs> it's not don't about worry about the me. legs nobody worries about the legs for me though i was telling you it's just you know uh, it's just the age thing things are starting to ache here and there yeah. you, you know you got to stretch more you got to do more of that so i'm thinking more of the wellness thing but hey if yeah. i get a six-pack in the meantime eh, just an accidental six-pack you're not going to complain <laughs> i just i just wanted to recognize you for your walking you. the walk two days in and uh, and uh, yeah, I've I've got like I, I told you, you're working on on fitness and health and wellness, which both of us kind of are. Mm-hmm. Me a little bit more passively than you, and uh, and I'm working on decluttering. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of a common thread here because I was I do have like supplements and shakes and powders. Yeah, you told uh, me. I don't know if I have creatine, but I have like whey powder and all these things. They've been in the storage room for several years. Uh, but I don't think those go bad. It's just powder, and so maybe I'll bring those in, and you can, uh, you know, you can you can add those to the to the uh, the cupboard that you're building up here. So the- at some point, you're going to do a dump of all your. Yeah, your health stuff you yeah. haven't been using, but 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 also that might that's kind of the toughest stuff to wrap your mind around and do. It's the toughest stuff to get rid of because you're saying something to yourself. <laughs> it's like when you get I am when not going to when use you it. sell your treadmill or when you give away your running shoes. It's like it it puts you in a tough position mm-hmm. uh, to navigate what you're doing with yourself. Uh, on a serious note. Before we move on, Philippe Fournier is going to join us in just a moment. Poll analyst. We're yeah, going to take a to look go. at uh, some of the top uh, political stories to keep an eye on in 2023. Uh, we did want to mention, because this is a show, Real Talk, Real Life. This mm-hmm. is the stuff that people talk about it at pubs and bars and coffee shops and hockey rinks. Um, just the story of DeMar Hamlin. And I know that oh, a lot man, of people, yeah. you don't have to be a football fan no. uh, to have this story on your radar. I know that for a fact, because my wife was Googling it last night, learning about it. This is the, the Buffalo Bills player that essentially suffered a significant cardiac incident on the field uh, was revived on Monday and there are different kind of rumors swirling around with regards to his status and mm-hmm. how he's doing and, and what's going on but I know it's a story you've been keeping an eye on yeah I just you know my mom texted me and said did you see about that you know she used to be a be a nurse and she she's just the people trying to like be an expert on the situation I don't think anyone really knows but she said if they're out there using you know a defibrillator and giving CPR like it's not good and I looked up Apparently, how do you say it, Ryan? The the thing they you're asking me. Yeah, a Como. I don't know. In real life, all I know in in like layperson's terms, Commodio cordis. Yeah, Commodio cordis is what he may have suffered, which is basically where you take a blow to the heart during 
in the middle of a heartbeat. Uh, you know, I'm not a doctor, but it's like a real fluke thing that can it happen, is. right? And 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 he's he's obviously this like strapping, healthy, fit guy. Mm-hmm. Nothing as as far as we know. Anyway, the, the point of me bringing it up is not for us to be offering a diagnosis of what happened. Not at all. But just basically, like in the course of a tackle, in the course of a play, yeah. all of a sudden the guy collapses and goes down. Did not look good. A lot of people are talking about you know back in the day, you know NHL Hall of Fame defenseman Chris Pronger taking that when he's yeah. in St. Louis. Uh, taking that slap shot to the chest and, and going down. And I saw mm-hmm. that Pronger tweeted uh, at DeMar Hamlin, or tweeted about this anyway, saying that he hoped that there could be a similar outcome um, in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, I mean, this is a, feels like an eternity ago, but Pronger, that was game two of a series yeah. against Detroit. He was back playing in game three. Yeah. And uh, Pronger was on Twitter yesterday answering some questions from fans and just from from curious you know, I mean, people, all the all the reporters were chiming in like, Mr. Pronger, can we get an interview on this? Mm-hmm. We you talk about he didn't appear to be wanting to talk too much about it. But aside from his post where he said that that he received obviously great medical attention on the ice mm-hmm. uh, from the trainers of both teams, which is oftentimes the way it goes in a serious incident, said he wore a heart monitor for 24 hours and then he was back playing in mm-hmm. game three. Um, it sounds a, a bit of a different circumstance for Tamar Hamlin. It does. Remains in a coma at the time we're recording this. And that was a long time ago, too. Like, significant. uh, They have way better stuff. They got EKGs on the sidelines now during sports. But I was looking up. uh, So if he did suffer that, uh, it's like a 58% survival rate. Used to be, uh, until 2002, it was like 34% of people Mm -hmm. only survived it. So the fact that the medical uh, staff there, like, were there and, you know, quickly within seconds uh bodes well for him but it's yeah it's touch and go right now so Jacqueline Hendricks has, has been reporting on this for the New York Post and then they updated uh, their site and I know obviously everybody's you know has up to the minute information you're checking as you're listening to this podcast you're checking your phone no doubt for the latest but the New York Post reporting that that Tamar Hamlin appears to be making progress what, what doctors are calling promising readings this per an update from the Buffalo Bills uh, to ESPN, uh, Coley Harvey making the original report that doctors saw encouraging signs overnight uh, after he did go into cardiac arrest in that game against the Bengals. Uh, they can't go into specifics, uh, but they're saying that he remains sedated and in critical condition in the ICU at the University of Cincinnati's uh, Medical Center. Wild to see. I mean, they, I even saw the Buffalo Sabres, yeah. uh, the National Hockey League team, uh, you know, Tage Thompson and Alex Tuck and, and all of them showing up to their mm-hmm. game last night wearing T-shirts in support of, the, of their, uh, you know, their, their, their Buffalo it's Bill. It's great to see. So, I think the main thing is, though, to, like even right now, we're trying, we, we don't know what's good. We're not trying to diagnose this thing. And no, I think a lot not. of his friends and people have been saying, stop. Stop tweeting, thinking you know exactly what's going on because nobody really does. So. What's driving me nuts is the people that are making it about the vaccine and about COVID. Oh it's it's getting to the point now where, uh, like I mean, li- you remember we had We Drex. literally have video of him taking a blow to the chest. <laughs> no, so. It doesn't matter to these people, yeah. though, right? I mean, you know, science never mattered to the anti-vaxxers. And so, but, uh, you know, Drex, the radio personality out of Vancouver, joined us what 10 days or two weeks after his heart attack back mm-hmm. in December. You should check that interview out if you didn't hear it. Uh, and he was getting the same stuff online, right? Like he ha- he has a heart incident 18 months after he gets vaccinated. And sure enough, radio listeners, some of them in Vancouver that knew about his vaccine status were were grinding his gears and cracking on him for that. It's 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 wild to see that become a part of this story. Obviously, uh, you know, if facts matter to you, uh, common sense would also suggest that the vaccine has absolutely nothing to do with happen- what happened to Damar Hamlin. But mm-hmm. but don't but don't tell Twitter. Don't let that interfere with Twitter and and the trends dragging this down into mm-hmm. that ditch. Try to keep the conversation focused. Uh, we're going to talk politics in just a second. Of course, you can always let us know what you think about what you're hearing. We invite you to send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. You can also use our hashtag RealTalkRJ. Of course, that's powered by our friends at Park Power. They're not lying to you. They're not going to pull the wool over your eyes. They're, they're, they're not going to pretend like we don't all know that this is, quite frankly, a more expensive time of year in our neck of the woods. People are using more natural gas. The furnace is firing more, more frequently than it does in other parts of the year. And of course, electricity as well. The days are shorter, right? Lights are on longer. Might be running space heaters too. It's a great time to compare rates. I mean, sometimes we don't get prompted to do something until it hits us in the pocketbook, right? When's the last time you checked to see if you're actually getting a good deal on your utilities? Go to parkpower.ca today. It takes two seconds to compare rates, what you're paying now versus what you would be paying with them. And then, of course, you can bring your business over to them in five quick minutes. Sign up at parkpower.ca. We also wanted to give a shout out to our friends at Apex Automation. For a lot of people, a new year means you're looking for new opportunities. You know, starting to take a look at 
maybe what your personal or professional life might look like 12 months from now. If you're a skilled, experienced, professional engineer anywhere in Canada or beyond, and you're looking for a new opportunity, maybe a place that values your time, gives you an opportunity to give people back their time, check out what Apex Automation is doing. Their projects and engineering links at apexautomation.ca give you a great idea on some of the opportunities that exist across North America. I mean, they're establishing field offices all over the place. A lot of work in energy and driving that economy forward. You can check out the careers link too at apexautomation.ca. Uh, John, we were shouting it from the rooftops yesterday. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and oh, Sherwood yeah. Park have an amazing deal on through the month of January right now. It's a perfect time to stock your freezer. I mean, the way that people's eyes light up, people of all ages, <laughs> when you let them know in impromptu fashion that you've got dilly bars or DQ sandwiches in the freezer, boxes of six are buy one, get one free all month long. That's right, the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Buy one box of DQ sandwiches or Dilly Bars. Get the second box absolutely free. Let them know that Real Talk sent you. Oh, yeah, it's true. And I got those uh, I got those uh, two gift cards in my stocking oh, yeah, that they, I got to uh, use from DQ. Thank yeah, you to them for yeah, sending those over. Yeah, that was the Cardinal and Lieber families, family-owned yeah. DQs. Sending Johnny that they know you love the dairy-free dilly bars. <laughs> they wanted to hook you up. Hey, I appreciate you had uh, Fleet Fournier in the screen when I was reading that that uh, Dairy Queen mention, and I could see the guy had this like ear-to-ear grin going on. Are you a big? Are you like a sweets guy? Are you an ice cream guy? What floats your boat? Here's the thing. Not really. I'm not a bit much of a sweet guy, but those ice cream sandwiches when it's hot in the summer, oh, I man. have to say I could eat a whole box. So, yeah, no, uh, and, and, yeah. And no it's, one would judge you for it. It's here, so maybe, maybe I'll have one soon. <laughs> yeah, you in, are you Montreal right now? <laughs> yes, I am, yes. Well, very happy New Year to you. How was your holiday season? Uh, it was, uh, I caught COVID just before Christmas. Ah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm feeling much better now. But uh, I was under the weather for most of the holidays. I guess I caught it from my school uh, during the exam time. So I, I'm glad to be feeling much better. But it uh, it did hit hard, uh, and uh, I was uh, I you know I spent the holidays playing video games. It was like I was a teenager again. So yeah, were, were you? <laughs> was that your first time with COVID? It was my first. I, I thought I was invincible for some time, but uh, apparently not. Uh, and uh, you know the fever and everything, but you know. It, it went by, I just, I stayed home and I played, I guess I said, I played video games. I caught up on my video games and I read and I slept a lot. Uh, and uh, now I'm feeling much better and ready for the for the new year. So glad happy you, new year to you yeah, and your man. team, of course. Well, we're glad you're back on your feet. I'm not a gamer, but what's your game? What's your, what's your game of choice? Oh, anything that's open sandbox, uh, Grand Theft Auto, Far Cry, all these games that you can just roam around and explore. Uh, so uh, it's, yeah, so I, during the school year, of course, and during elections, I don't have much time to play video games, but during the holidays, I give it all. And this time, well, you know, since I was stuck at home, that's all I did. And it was, it was great, but uh, it's, it's glad to be back on the, uh, on the beat now. Yeah, well, it's, it's great to have you here. I should probably give you a proper invite. I mean, we rolled in in the context of ice cream sandwiches, but I'll, I'll remind people that you're the founder of 338 Canada. You're you're a political columnist. People have read your, your English columns in Politico and and of course, uh, as as well, the, the work that you do as a poll analyst. You oftentimes will remind this audience you're not a pollster. You're a poll analyst. Uh, you also happen to be an astrophysics professor. So you got a lot going on. Um, 2023 in our neck of the woods in Western Canada, Alberta in particular, obviously about five and a half months out from a provincial election and this thing uh to quote the great ed whalen uh sports broadcaster out of calgary looks like it's going to be a ring a ding dong dandy why don't we lead with that right now what, what are you paying attention to storylines wise out of alberta oh absolutely i mean it's it's rare that a provincial election will have national consequences i think the last one you could count was maybe the quebec election in 94 or 98 so it's been a long time but the Alberta election scheduled for May 29th of this year, 2023, uh, will have national consequences and therefore national coverage. Uh, and on top of that, the polls show, the numbers indicate that it's going to be a very close race uh, between the NDP and the UCP. So I think this is what's going to take most of my time uh, during the first half of the year, following the numbers, crunching the numbers, the, the favorabilities for the leaders. Uh, we have a lot of undecideds in the polls that we had in December. Uh, so the seat projection right now is a bit challenging. 
And there are a lot of toss-up writings, uh, so I'm sure we're going to talk about that. But uh, the Alberta election for sure will be top of mind for the first five months of the year. Yeah, I was talking to Charles Adler yesterday, and, and I said something and then didn't provide any context or background or follow-up thought. And to be honest, I, I regretted it. I wanted to do over. So here I am. I'll use this opportunity. But I, but I noted that, that uh, Abacus data released some numbers basically last week of December. Um, they showed about a six-point lead, uh, again, six months out for Rachel Notley's NDP. They said if the election was held today, uh, there'd be positive implications for the NDP. But they noticed or noted that a quarter of Alberta voters were undecided, 25 percent. The point I didn't make that I'd like to make now is also oftentimes the undecideds are the ones that just don't vote. Right. Do we sometimes overestimate the significance of the undecideds? Uh, sometimes, uh, most, most of the time undecideds will just uh, take them out of the equation and uh, figure out that they will probably vote along national lines or provincial lines. Uh, but there are exceptions. Uh, and the exceptions is when the turnout is suddenly very high. Uh, just to go back again, I don't want to make this about Quebec, but the, the election, provincial election that has national consequences. In 95 referendum, uh, the turnout was 93% in Quebec. And uh, the elections after and before were around 80% of turnout. Usually in a provincial election, it's around 65 and 70. So if the turnout is really high, those undecideds will lean one way or the other. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I seem at first pessimistic for the NDP because looking at those numbers, uh, I see it's, uh, it's a dead heat between the NDP and the, the UCP, meaning that the UCP has not bled enough support to the NDP to make it a sure thing. Uh, those undecideds, well, can you really bet against the conservatives in Alberta? Uh, Madam Smith may be very polarizing, but for the, uh, for the NDP to win this election, they have to convince new voters and also former UCP voters, Jason Kenney voters, to join their fold. It's going to be a, a very hard race. And obviously, I know you're in Edmonton. The race will be probably played in Calgary. Yeah. Uh, I invite your listeners to go see my website. I added a new graph. It's like a, a snake and ladder graph that shows the path to 44 seats. And that to the path to 44 seats right now in Alberta, let me just list it to you. Calgary Cross, Calgary Edgemont, Calgary Bow, Calgary Foothills, Calgary Elbow, Calgary Glenmore, Calgary North, and Calgary Northwest. All these seats are in the toss-up columns. And to win 44 seats, the NDP has to win all of them. Not a few of them, not a majority of them, all of them. And I'm not saying it's not possible, but it's a major, major challenge for the NDP. I'm, uh, we're scrolling, for people watching this on YouTube, we're scrolling uh, 338canada.com. You've got more beer ads on your homepage. How, how, much, how much free beer do you get shipped to your house, Fournier? Here's, here's the thing. My, my friend that I, do, I play hockey with says, why do I have sexy Asians ad on your website? The ads on the website are determined by the cookies in your phone or your computer. So that means, my friend, that beer companies know you and your team. Uh, that's what it says. Okay, well, well, that's good. I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't ask you why we were seeing ads on other things. Uh, yeah, no, we, we, we keep our cookies clean here, right, uh, on the show. Hey, what do you think? What do you think is going to be like if you were in? And I love these conversations because we talk a lot about from, you know, to Western pundits and a lot of people that spend a lot of time at the Alberta legislature that understand what makes Calgary tick or they're trying to figure it out anyway. But I love the opportunity to check in with you uh, in Quebec, you know, halfway across the country and, and to sort of get a sense of what the scuttlebutt is there and whether or not people are actually paying attention to the Alberta, you know, provincial election in particular. And, and, and I and I noted that you said just a couple of minutes ago, it's a provincial election that'll have federal implications what do you think will be like in 2019 i think we can say generally it was an election or it, it was an it was a referendum on the carbon tax that's what jason kenny wanted to make it right a referendum on the carbon tax now i think that's oversimplifying that election but what would you suggest 2023 might be like what will the election issue be is it is it alberta's future in canada it could be. I mean, this is what Daniel Smith seems to be wanting with their Sovereignty Act. Uh, I know it's very problematic, but it's it's not overly disliked by many conservatives in Alberta, according to the numbers. I mean, and not the, the people I talk to, of course, but according to the numbers. Uh, and if, if the UCP really wants to go down that road, uh, you know, we've lived this in Quebec. It, it creates a lot of uncertainty. Of course, it creates a lot also of nation building. Uh, you can get a lot of people behind. You can get people excited about it. I mean, do you take the Ontario election last June? It was such a snooze fest. It was a bore. And the result, 
43% turnout. Mm. Uh, when elections are exciting and when they're about something, uh, usually the turnout goes really high and uh, it makes a difference. And what can be more exciting or at least it, it gets to your sentiment of belonging, of identity, you know, it, who is really a Canadian or a Quebecer? Well, right now, Alberta, they want to say, are we Albertans first? Do we want to uh, have the knife on the throat of the federal government saying, we want this and this and this, otherwise we might just have a referendum and leave? Uh, it's possible we go down that road. Maybe I'm, I'm, you know, maybe I'm threaded on a very uh, you know, dangerous ground here. But uh, this is what we see. And we had some PQ MNAs here said, oh, that's Sovereignty Act from Daniel Smith. That's very interesting. We could have something like that. Mm. Uh, so p perhaps she planted some seeds for uh, for other separatist movements in Canada. Yeah, I mean, people are writing books about the, the Alberta-Quebec case study, and it's a fascinating one to keep an eye on. I, I don't see like I don't think it makes any political sense for Danielle Smith to try to turn this into a, a, a referendum on Alberta's future in Canada. There, there was I mean, during the most recent municipal elections, the provincial government did throw uh, something on the ballot to sort of get a sense of where people were at. But I think to t turn it into an election issue feels like a losing play for me. I think that that's something more that Rachel Notley would have to turn this into, don't you? It's possible. Uh, again, I will wait on the new numbers. But so yeah. far, I mean, the Sovereignty Act was introduced in November, was debated, and uh, it was presented. I think it be became law in early December. And the polls that we had after showed the NDP and the UCP tied. Uh, yeah. So it hasn't sunk the UCP. I mean, it, it, we see this also in the United States and some countries in Europe. Uh, traditionally, conservative voters, usually when the election comes, they fall in line. Uh, so they may not like the leader. They may not like uh, some of its policies, but to convince them to vote for another party or vote for the NDP, uh, that's a that's a big step to take for them. And so perhaps that's this is what Danielle Smith is making uh, the bet she's making that they will fall in line eventually. Uh, Justin's watching us in, the, in our live chat on YouTube. Says this is sounding pretty dire for the Alberta NDP. If they need every single one of those writings that Fleet mentioned, I don't know that they're going to pull that off, especially not when uh, the premier is promising Calgary an arena. Etc. That's an interesting one. She's not promising Calgary an <laughs> arena, but it's come up and she's not 100% closed the door on it. She's she's kind of at least keeping it in the public discourse. Calgary needs a new arena. Um, I love the way we talk about that, right? <laughs> like a building built in the 1980s is just a piece of junk ready to be blown up, but but I digress. It's not how we but treat those But those billionaire owners, they can't afford to build an arena, no, Ryan. This, no. this is how it works. Do yeah. you have conviction on, on, on public dollars or incentives or, or things like community revitalization levies? Do you have a, do you have a position? on on big infrastructure projects you know we have they have they take the population in uh in hostage basically those those billionaire owners saying if you don't build an arena we'll just move uh this is blackmail for me but uh you know i do agree that the government has to be involved in some case but take the the bell center in montreal it was built entirely on private dollars by, by the molson family in the 1990s uh, they did that, and then they realized, oh, everybody's asking for funds for the government. Why didn't we do that? Uh, so uh, one, once this uh, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube, uh, you know. Um, but to go back to the seats that I mentioned in Calgary, uh, Ryan, uh, um, I add also Fort Saskatchewan, Regreville, and Morinville, St. Albert. Those are two additional toss-ups that right now are in the UCP column. So 11 toss-up seats. And the NDP needs to win nine or ten of them. Correct is me, that possible? Didn't you go? Didn't you go like in, in was it 2019? You went something like 82 for 87 on predicting <laughs> Alberta's election. I had a very good election in the, in the, in the 2019. I was basically the, the morning of the election. I walked into McLean's office to offer them my services, and they was like, "Oh my God, you had 82 out of 87, and two more in the uh, was the margin of error." So I had a really good election last time. I'm confident that uh, if the numbers are good, uh, they, they, I will be precise this once again. Uh, hopefully, posters will notice, uh, but I think they will. The fact that we had five pollsters in November and December polling Alberta six months away from the election tells me that uh, the pollsters will cover this one in May for sure. Yeah. You think there's going to be a federal election anytime soon? What, what, what are some of the key storylines for, for 2023 out of Ottawa for you? Ryan, if there was no deal right now between the NDP and Justin Trudeau's liberals, uh, the uncertainty would be there. But it's 
right now you look at the numbers. It's not advantageous for the liberals. It's not advantageous for the NDP to go into an election. And why would you want to go into an election where there's still high inflation and economic uncertainty? You can ride this wave. You can wait. So perhaps there will be one. I would be very surprised. I would bet on 2024. But let's just think about this, though. Remember 2021, uh, the uh, Justin Trudeau calls the, uh, the election August 15th. Everybody says this is a meaningless election. This is a useless election. This is a mistake. Uh, and during the first two weeks of the elections, the liberals went down before going up. So popular, the, 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 the voters noticed that this was a useless election. Well, to go back to that, hindsight is 2020. Imagine if there wasn't any election. That would mean October 2023, there would be an election scheduled. Justin Trudeau would be stuck with this economy, these interest rates <laughs> that are really high, going into an election year. Now he has time. So hindsight is 2020, of course, but uh, perhaps uh, it was a good move to go into an election in 2021 just to be safe in 2023. What's the, the only I mean, the only way I can see a federal election happening this year would be if Jagmeet Singh decided to put the screws to Justin Trudeau. But but like you've alluded to, like the NDP even literally can't afford another election right now, right? I mean, he, he's talking with bluster. Uh, he's talking about the NDP's demands on healthcare. He wants meaningful action. He's not seeing it. He hasn't really come up with specifics. But uh, in a way, uh, he does have his finger in the ring of the pin in the grenade, doesn't he? He does. He actually, you know, in, in fact, he really does. It's just that, again, you look at the numbers and pol politicians look at these numbers also. You see the NDP at 18, 19 percent federally. You see the Jack Meetson. Yeah, he's the most popular leader among federal parties. But a chunk of that number is because Jack Meetson is not a threat to the status quo. Yeah. And so, of course, liberal voters will like Jack Meetson. Uh, if he does pull the plug and uh, the conservatives win or the liberals win a majority, then the NDP doesn't have the influence on the government that it does have now. So, you know, the NDP will never have as much power as it does now in an under government, under other parliament. I want to, before we thank you for your time, Philippe Fournier, our guest, if you're just uh, tuning in, maybe live streaming the audio on the Mixler audio app presented by California Closets, uh, something happening in, in Manitoba. We don't spend a ton of time. Manitoba politics don't really get their, it's fair, you know, they don't get their fair share of the federal spotlight, really. But but there could be a, a change, couldn't there be, in, in, uh, in who's running that place? Scheduled in October, Manitoba general election. Uh, we have one of the least um, popular premier in the country in this Stephenson, uh, leading the PCs, the Manitoba PCs. And every poll that we had in the last year shows that Web Canoes NDP is leading and leading big, especially in Winnipeg. So, uh, you know, again, we're eight, uh, nine months from the election, so we have to be careful. But it's possible that the uh, Manitoba goes orange by the end of the year. And just to think about this, Ryan, if Let's say Rachel Notley pulls this up. It's possible that at the end of 2023, three of the four Western provinces will be led by NDP governments. Uh, so perhaps some changes in Western Canada. We'll have to look at the numbers throughout the year. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, it's always great to see your face, my man. Always appreciate your insights. Want to make sure that people know where to find you. Of course, uh, they can find you on social media, on Twitter at 338Canada. That's your handle. And of course, at 338Canada.com, where the... Uh, advertisements will demonstrate what you're cooking look at this i'm, I'm getting uh, i'm getting gentle facial cleansing gel now paris well, velvet nourishing cream with saffron flowers okay and of course some of canada's best polling analysis from philippe fournier thanks for doing this pal good to see ya all right there we have it live from montreal philippe fournier he's got us thinking about ice cream sandwiches beer and <laughs> politics i like it that was good. That guy's, you know what? I can appreciate, like, sometimes people's brains start to numb a little bit when you talk polling numbers, because mm -hmm. there's just a lot of numbers. If, you're, if your brain works like mine, there's a lot of numbers swirling around. It's hard to keep focus. I just want to know, like, that's everyone, yeah. Who's leading, by how much, and why? Yeah. Where are the upsets coming? Where are the upsets coming, and what are going to be the key issues uh, mm -hmm. for that campaign? But a guy that, that, accurately predicted 82 out of 87 that's, that's ridings pretty in, a, impressive. in an election yeah i've tried to you know it's always it's fun if nothing else when there are elections i i, I try to tweet out my pool. my projections <laughs> on how i think they're gonna go and i'm always way off i know yeah like yeah. i'll be like 15 20 seats off you never know but that's hey like they say that's why people go to the polls uh, in just a second we're gonna check in with uh, a couple of uh 
assistant professors at Athabasca University. What does Taylor Swift have to do with highest earning entertainer of 2022, mm-hmm. by the way? Did you see that? I she did. earned almost $70 million. Yeah. yeah. The highest earning entertainer of 2022. What does Taylor Swift have to do with fat phobia, in particular in feminist politics? We're going to get to that in a second. Before that, you know, every Wednesday we have a chance to get out to the mountains, right? To, to sort of like fill our lungs with with the proverbial and, and sometimes the metaphorical fresh mountain air that comes with beautiful Jasper National Park. It's my Jasper memories presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. And this is a huge month uh, for people that, that have the tradition of visiting Jasper in January. And the big kickoff is coming up in just a short while. You can check out all the details at jasper.travel slash January. But if one of your New Year's resolutions was to spend more time in the mountains to take better advantage of winter, we've got a few things for you here uh, in this edition of My Jasper Memories. The, the festival, Jasper in January, is back. And from January 13th through 29th, uh, it's going to be bringing you all of the comfort food and the amazing skiing and the live music and the unique adventures that you could possibly want. So we want to get into these uh, to put a few things on your radar right now. Most events uh, from the Thursday to the Sunday of each week, so perfect for a weekend or even a, a long weekend. Uh, some of the most exciting things to check out from the 13th to the 15th, the kickoff weekend, the first weekend, the kickoff party, of course, complimentary appies. Who doesn't love that? And Kokanee on tap at the Whistle Stop Pub. Are you a big visitor? Are you is the whistle stop on your list? Of course, yeah. Yeah, love that place. Uh, always a great place to roll into when you first arrive into town. And then there's Vinophilia for the love of wine. The wine lovers in your group will love to mingle and snack on a delicious fare at this cocktail-style event that's held by Jasper Food Tours. And then on the Saturday, uh, this is the weekend again from the 13th to the 15th of January. It's coming up in just a short while. I still got time to make your plans. Whiskey, wine, and hops. It's the ultimate apres. Uh, this annual event is a great opportunity to break out your best knits and your plaids and your faux furs and get ready to party. There's the Pyramid Winter Fet as well, which is a chance to sip and snack and skate at a family-friendly event. Uh, which will feature horse-drawn sleigh rides. The horse-drawn sleigh rides on Pyramid Lake, we did that last winter with our little guy. It's just absolutely magical. These magnificent animals, the scenery is incredible. The the sounds of those sleigh runners on snow, unbelievable. And of course, an appearance of Jasper the Bear. The kids are bound to love it. And then in the evening, multiple live music acts at venues around town. Again, I'm looking right now at jasper.travel slash January. You can find all the details there and make your plans. Sundays, the Ladies Ski Club goes, which is just a great opportunity for a positive ski experience with your sisters. This event designed and taught by women. And then there's the Sunday Supper Club as well. Drink specials, soul-warming dishes, decadent desserts, and a backdrop of local live music. And running all the way through the weekend, too, if ice climbing is your thing, if you've got, I mean, just nerves of steel and a real desire to get out there and experience something totally unique, uh, under the guidance of Rockaboo Mountain Adventures, absolute beginners. I mean, we're talking like totally green. You've never done it before. You can actually scale a frozen waterfall. And uh, the astronomy experts at the Jasper Planetarium all weekend long as well at the Festival of Galaxies, uh, giving access to Jasper's wondrous night skies. Can, can you tell I get a little bit excited talking about Jasper? We love it out there. Our Jasper memories are ones that will hold for a lifetime. You can make your My Jasper memories. Uh, visit jasper.travel slash January today to check out more and start making your plans for Jasper in January. Welcome to the lighter side of winter. I love it. We got to get out there for a team building exercise. <laughs> exercise. Okay. A little exercise. You got little. exercise on the brain. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, this is a, a really fascinating story. Taylor Swift. Um, I mean, probably, would you say her? She's not maybe, I mean, who, who can say the biggest celebrity in the world, but mm. she's right up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Taylor Swift has uh, been blazing trails, of course, in, in music and entertainment for years, but she unleashed controversy this fall with her anti-hero video that critics swiftly labeled as fat phobic. Uh, her silence and uh, her angry defenders show that there are limits to fat positivity, fat positivity in feminism uh, and that the oppression of fat people continues to be a problem. This was the focus of a piece, a recent opinion column for the conversation that was co-written by Athabasca University professors, uh, Dr. Kristen Roche and Dr. Heather McLean. 
Dr. Roji investigates feminist theoretical work on the body, self, and change over time. And more recently, this has taken her to representations of the fat body in media and politics. Looking forward to this conversation. Uh, meantime, uh, Dr. McLean, an assistant professor uh, in environmental studies and human geography at Athabasca U, currently researching the gender, race, and class impl- implications of gentrification. On precarious work in small cities across Western Canada. It's wonderful to see you both. Happy New Year to you, and thank you for making time for us this morning. Uh, Kristen, am I pronouncing your... Is it Roji? Am I pronouncing that correctly? You did great. Okay, perfect. When did this When did this Taylor Swift, this anti-hero video... I mean, it, it feels like all of her videos get like 300 million views. Uh, did you see it right when it came out? What, what put it on your radar, and what was your very first thought? Um, well, I really appreciate being able to talk about this right now because you know often when a controversy crops up there's sort of like a flurry of discussion and then it goes away you know um this video came out months ago and the controversy um kind of fizzled out uh and so heather and i were actually writing this article after that and then you know we're really happy to have a discussion here where we can sort of unpack even what's kind of gone on since. So, um, you know, when did I become aware (laughs) of the video? Well, I am an academic, I'm a fat person, but I'm also part of what I would call a fat activist community. So that's where I, it came onto my radar was through activism and communities that I'm a part of. People said, Hey, there's this video. It, it, It uses the term, uh, a term that many of us are working to take a lot of the charge away from mm. and use it more as a neutral word. And it's sort of just being represented as this sort of term of abuse or weapon in the video. And, you know, there was a lot of criticism there. And then sort of Heather and I did some talking about it say is this something that we could comment on and add to the discussion well this is good i mean this is kind of the whole premise of this show is i mean and and it always helps when we have people with informed perspectives like the two of you but i know that just the and not to take away from the validity of just the average person's feelings about something Mm -hmm. as well we kind of we kind of all roll it together and look to have conversations that move these things forward um heather welcome to the show dr mclean what what, for people that aren't familiar with the video essentially there's there's this key moment that as i understand it was removed right and, and it's when the character in the music video taylor swift looks down at a scale and the scale readout is fat right that's that's the crux of that's the main moment in that video that raised the ire of so many correct mm-hmm. and act fat activists so an activist feminist activist pointed out that that video basically made it taylor swift's worst fear to be a fat woman mm. and then when people said hey wait a minute that's not really a kind or a good message she backed off and wouldn't discuss it and her she they removed it and there wasn't any point of discussion where it could have been exciting and interesting where she said wow i made a mistake i've internalized these messages and isn't that wild how much they're sitting in our heads and and like lizzo um, for example there was a video where there was a very ableist slur in one of her songs and an activist pointed it out and she removed it and had a really great discussion about it but we're interested in the defensiveness of taking that away and then there was no discussion. And then some activists even made fun of fat women, fat activists that were pointing out their concern with the video. So it turned into a very defensive and very unkind mm. kind of feminism. And that's what we are really interested in. Why is there a type of celebrity feminism that's kind of cool, but then it's reproducing very unkind and harmful messages that have serious implications. So mm. we are interested in that. Lizzo is like impossible to dislike. Can we all agree on that? Like she's becoming everybody's favorite celebrity for a reason. I just love the way that she owns it. Chris, I saw your your face said something when I mentioned her name. What do you take from what she's doing right now and pushing public discourse forward? Um, Well, honestly, I I can't say enough good things about uh, what she's doing, the way that she's really centering activists and um, offering platforms to a diversity of women of different body sizes, um, pe- non-binary people, you know, her, um, I'm going to mess up the title is the big, let's hear it for the big girls or whatever her reality TV show was to hire dancers. Um, it's just uh, amazing. But, 
you know, to, to, to loop that back to Taylor Swift, it's really interesting, the sort of silencing of fat women by her um, fans. So like Heather said, we're really interested in how this conversation played out in terms of backlash and then backlash to the backlash. Hmm. Um, you know, so it's sort of like um, our view and my view is that fat people, maybe Lizzo could be one of them, um, other people who are in the media spotlight are inspirational, right? Look at them have self-esteem, even though they have a socially, you know, non-normal body. They're inspirational, but then when we critique, we're jealous haters. So it's really a, a, a very narrow tightrope that we're given when someone is such a big celebrity. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, that's kind of what brought us to this topic too. I'd be interested for both your take on this because I think that the average person also wants to know, like, like where do we stand on the on the you know, as they say in the Big Lebowski, the preferred nomenclature. People want to know. And and I've seen some people using the word fat, like like including in this conversation. You know, yeah. it's just it's just very matter of fact. It's not a loaded phrase when it's used. Um, but then you also think like, I don't know, maybe just the way I'm hardwired or the way that I was raised. I mean, you know, even Heather, you used I, I really appreciate you invoking the word unkind. We want to be more kind. We want to be kind people to me. The word fat has always I've always perceived it to be a very unkind word. But but like, yeah. has that changed? Can we get into that? I, I'd be happy to get into that. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's um, I think you're right that it's a transition it's in a transitional place right now right um but it but that just sort of means that we need to be kind of curious and open about asking people you know how does this word land how does that word land you know there are other euphemisms that kind of um imply a negative attribute um there are sort of pathologizing words that all are also negative but when I use the word fat, I mean, there's so many different ways. It can be a political identity, right? So someone can use it to say, I I'm claiming this term um, as an activist. Um, it can be a historical description, right? We can look through how it's been used in the past. It can be a term of abuse, right? Just like you're sort of saying, it kind of has that sting to it. It is still definitely something used to degrade people. So, um, and you know, there's been fat activist work for over 50 years trying to take some of the power out of the word and, and make it more like tall, short, um, <laughs> other bodily descriptors. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, you're right. Like, why wouldn't it be like, you know, tall, short, fat, skinny, but it's just some words just feel more loaded than others, probably because they've those words have served as weapons for so long. Right. Right. Dr. McLean. Yeah, precisely. And and as we try to, um, will we follow a bit in our article, these words are loaded with Black feminist scholars and activists point out and women of color. These are loaded with a real appreciation of a very specific type of Eurocentric and white body. Um, they're very loaded around class issues, around ability. There's a lot of uh, radical disability activists that point out the fat phobia and, and fat as a negative term is loaded with um, very ableist connotations. So there's, when I say unkind, it gets harmful, but it's it's loaded in, in a very kind of white supremacist, a very specific type of idealizing a white thin body. And um, that kind of, that th these messages are, are have these larger histories, which we think for, again, someone like Taylor Swift that is a, creating this, um, this celebrity feminist image to to not she should really take seriously and and unpack these things. It could be a really great learning moment for us to really think about the shame and the the weight around these words and mm. they're really loaded around a class ability race. Mm. Yeah, I like I, I agree with you. Like these these moments can serve as an opportunity. There's some discomfort, right, that comes with the I mean, and there's probably a, a degree of discomfort for Taylor Swift, uh, maybe a maybe a, di a degree of discomfort for the video director or for the art director or whatever. Or, or maybe they're sitting there going, yes, this worked exactly how we'd hoped. And everybody's talking about it and it's generating a lot of buzz and millions of people, hundreds of millions of people are talking about it for, for the two of you. 
Like if we zoom this out really big picture, considering your research and your personal perspectives. And again, I want to remind people that they can check out your piece at theconversation.com. What Taylor Swift's anti-hero controversy can tell us about fat phobia and feminist politics. Uh, We're talking to the two authors here out of Athabasca University. Where would you like the conversation to go? Like we, we can't help. It's the first week of January. So a lot of our talk is like where we move forward or what we take into a new year, what we focus on or how we better ourselves. Uh, Kristen, maybe you first. Where would you where would you like this conversation to go? Well, there's been a nice sort of popular movement within some strands of intersectional feminism to try to de- really dispel this idea that fat is a feeling. Mm. So to really think about fat more in a neutral way to describe a certain kind of embodiment or a certain kind of political orientation, whereas people will say, oh, I feel fat, right? And there's lots of sociological research around this that says what the person really means is they feel bad, they feel um, like they're like um, they won't be socially valued, like they won't be attractive and so on. And we're really sort of trying to I would like to push that movement forward to really divorce this idea that uh, or to reinforce the idea that fat is not a feeling. Um, And because when you say I feel fat and that means bad, you're basically saying it's bad to have a fat body and and people who have them should feel bad. So that so divorcing some of that as well. I would like to see feminism move forward in a more sort of collective way, because a lot of what was. in response to the critique was um, people saying, well, this is how she feels. And she's talking about her body and how it, you know, fat phobia affects her. Right. But, you know, fat phobia doesn't just affect one individual and then have an individual story. Right. It actually is a system. It affects everyone in different ways depending on their different locations. And so when she says it's just about me, she's really kind of in a way claiming fat phobia as her issue and to define and to sort of like individually, you know, control the, you know, the political message around it saying it's Mm. about me. And I really think that that's, that's dangerous. I did see, there is an interesting point here. Uh, AB is watching us and, and chimes in on the, on the live chat on YouTube and says maybe Taylor Swift was trying to convey her own, body image uh or or maybe body image issues in her music video like slim women says ab can have body issues as well yeah and what we're trying to say is that that's actually the 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 narrative that collapses a larger coalition Mm. with people doing work against fat phobia so we absolutely agree with that but they're taking up all of the space Mm. so you know keep in mind Fat activists pointed out, hey, this is harmful to us. And she said nothing. Hmm. And we were called online jealous and angry haters. So that doesn't seem very coalitional to me. That seems like thin women taking up the space to talk about fat phobia. Ah. So we definitely agree (laughs) that that's what, what she was saying. But it's a matter of who takes up the space and, and silences others. I think Heather has something there too. Yeah. I, um, I think going forward, there's an opportunity here where, and I'm as a as a I do research as a as a white woman. Um, I do a lot of I try my best to do coalitional work with indigenous colleagues, uh, black indigenous people of color, scholar uh, colleagues. I work um, with disabled communities, and as a white woman, if I go into things really centering myself and claiming I know the right answers and I'm a really radical activist. Um, I'm going to screw up constantly. Like there, there's so much messaging that's so loaded around, around race and class and ability. And um, how can we slow down and, and say, wow, I really screwed up and, mm. and listen and, and not again, take up more space and be defensive. So I think there's an opportunity here around yeah, around build, building coalitions and owning our mistakes and screwing up. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm oh God, I'm not saying I'm the, the good at it. It takes work and it's, and we screw up, but, but there's an opportunity, there's a, such a need, an interesting opportunity here for, um, for Taylor Swift and for all of us um, to just really listen and to learn and to create, um, yeah, less harmful worlds. Like these are, 
this very, very, this very painful messaging and the way that Taylor Swift fans, there was quite abusive messaging and it just doesn't, um, doesn't land well as a kind of activism that's about creating joy and care and, and moving and it's about a defensiveness of, um, of women who have a lot of power as a, as a thin body and, and that, but, um, and a, as a white woman. So yeah, but definitely these are personal challenges and they're about mental health and ability. Um, and, and, and but yeah, how do we step back and listen and, and slow down and learn from each other? That would be a really great message moving forward. Uh, I, I love the spirit of that comment. It's kind of like, I mean, it's, it's like the whole point of this, right? It's, it's literally the whole point of the work that we do. It's a big part of the point I know of the work that, that the both of you do. And, uh, and I love that it, the, the spirit of the comment of like just seeking to understand and, and to listen and to absorb. And it's always so interesting. I know I'm not saying anything profound here and I don't want to take this too off track. Sometimes I do, but I always promise to bring it back. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson, I'm not sure if the, the two of you are familiar with the story, but like the Cleveland Browns quarterback who missed like a better part of the season, um, accusations, credible accusations from like a couple of dozen women uh, that, that he was sexually harassing them in the context of professional sports massages. And I mean, it's just like it's, it's a it's a horrific story. It's a gut wrenching story. Anyway, the point is, I'm watching this news feature the other day and the reporters. I mean, what what a great job they did. They go to a tailgate party outside of a Cleveland Browns game. and They start talking to the Browns fans about how they feel about getting Deshaun Watson back as their quarterback. Right. And they're like, yeah, great. Like these women are lying. They just want the money. These women are lying. Um, and the reporters are going, okay, like, like are 25 women lying? You know, it's like the Bill Cosby argument, like are 25 mm -hmm. women lying? And they're going, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and then the, the reporter asked this one guy, he says, how would you feel? He says, would your opinion change if, if your sister or your cousin, your girlfriend uh, was one of those that was accusing Deshaun Watson? And the response with a straight face was, well, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, so probably not. And I just, my jaw just dropped. Like, he's a Cleveland Browns fan, which means they get their quarterback back, so it doesn't bother him. And in a context like this, I think even, and, and I don't want to oversimplify what's happening here, but you get people when it comes to, like, someone with the immense celebrity power of, like, a Taylor Swift, um, mm -hmm. there can be divisions within the fan base, right? Where some people, it's like she can do no wrong, or some people aren't interested in that conversation, or they're not interested in the discomfort. And we see, I mean, Kristen, in particular, what you're telling us, how that can play out when people are attempting to move a conversation forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, she's a really big target. And so from one direction, it could be like, well, you know, of course, we can find political problems with Taylor Swift's work. Like, that's not very... Um, you know, sort of hard, but at the same time, we learn a lot from the defenses. So you're, I don't know the football story that you're talking about. I'm just taking that for what it is. But, you know, my, my interest would also be in that response around like what kinds of identities are being upheld by in that response. And, you know, looking at sports and masculinity and, and how that all works with victim blaming is really interesting. And you can sort of, look at the analogy here around um sort of what what heather and i have been working on around sort of like white innocence and so how can taylor swift both be so beloved but also make mistakes yeah and if she had on her platform said you know what everyone i i'm hearing this critique um I was creating art from a place of my own voices of internalized fat phobia, which have, have been harmful to me. And because of that, I just sort of um, wasn't thinking about what airing that internalized fat phobic message would do to others who live in bodies that are picked out by that fat phobic message. And if she had, you know, expressed solidarity with people who are experiencing discrimination in healthcare, um, career, you know, a, a lot of violence. Some of the work I'm doing right now is on sexual violence against fat women and how those victims are dismissed differently. Um, 
if she had expressed a little bit of solidarity and just sort of said, I'm, I'm going to learn from this, we, we could have shifted some of the conversation and her supporters would have, I think, potentially opened their ears a little bit or absorbed some of that. Hmm. I, I want to let also just recognize here, you know, I, I, I do my best to keep an eye on the live chat through conversations like this because it resonates with people. It gives us a sense of how it's landing with the audience. Right. And 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 and, and when we do, we reference zooming out or getting a, a sort of a wider angle lens on this. And, and it's resonating with with audience members like Brenda, who, who says like she says, there's there's a lot of stuff happening in healthcare too. She says uh, some healthcare workers can certainly judge people based on our size. She says, I have felt it personally during a hospital stay. So it's it, the conversation here. I mean, uh, regrettably, Brenda's had that experience, but but obviously the conversation we're having here applies to so many people in so many different contexts to state the obvious. Yeah, no, that's why, um, again, Kristen really focuses this on our work and we have really great conversations, just small, what's see. Microaggressions play out a lot, even in our workplace. I was working as a professor in in Scotland, and um, I remember um, some of the progressive white feminist professors I worked with making fun of the food. I was working. We we had an event with um, catered by these working class Scottish women, and uh, there were different carbs. It was really yummy food, but a lot of quips about how how, how heavy the carbs were and don't eat too much. And, but just these little comments. So students are picking up on this and the women who made the food are working up on this and are picking up, working, picking up on this. And it's just like these comments about kind of patrolling one another's bodies. It creates a very hostile work environment. And it's a very specific valuing of a certain type of body as the professional woman mm. and an undermining of, in that case, these um, working class Scottish women in the community we work with and with students who some who identify as fat students. And there's just this, again, I don't want to, when I say kind, I mean, a larger, very harmful um and these are very specific types of of bodies, and it's a very controlled way of living. It's it's a very punishing and quite. It, this is a type of internalized patriarchy or misogyny and and class and race issues. But it's just really it, it looks like wellness and health and oh this these healthy people. But just this kind of banter and chatter can play out in the workplace. It's really stigmatizing. And I had students come to me really, really upset at those these kind of events hearing you're eating a plate of food and just the chatter and and how easily we can hurt one another. So I think there's such great opportunity here to really learn and to support one another. And again, someone like Taylor Swift, who's branding a type of feminism, I think it'd be really cool to step back and to listen and learn and have a broader discussion rather than just shut down and mm. and, and um, make the activists out to be... Um, the angry ones, the haters. So, yeah. Can I build off? Of course, doctor. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I just really appreciate Brenda's comment because, um, you know, we're, we're taking aim at um, a really big target here, right? We've got a a music video. There's a controversy. um, It's a representation. It's, it's art. um, But the reason why, we're there is because it's an opportunity to advocate for the kinds of things that Brenda was bringing up in her comment, because what happens in this conversation is people have, there's, there's a sort of upsurge of fat activist critiques that, Hey, you know, this is harmful um, from our, you know, communities of activism. And when that gets smacked down, it's that missed opportunity to say, you know what, we need to talk about fat stigma in healthcare. We need to talk about how, you know, um, there's a joke in fat activist communities where you go into the doctor with a broken arm and you're told to lose weight, right? right. It is just, um, there are there's so much work to be done in healthcare and um, improving outcomes um, for people. And we can't even get to that conversation if we're dismissed as angry haters Mm. when we talk about and so the idea is that taylor swift and that kind of critique is kind of claiming fat phobia as their issue which then sort of puts these boundaries around where we're allowed to bring the conversation there's amazing work um by uh you know people of color fat people of color who are talking about how fatness plays a role in racialized police brutality there are new scholarly works on this and you know, we can't 
get that message or we can't <laughs> it's more difficult to get messages about violence about health care about economic oppression um into the you know sort of political discussion if in the small places where it does come up we get immediately smacked down so there needs to be more more space you can check out this piece at theconversation.com. What Taylor Swift's anti-hero controversy can tell us about fat phobia and feminist politics. It's co-authored by our guests this morning out of Athabasca University, Dr. Christian Roje, who you just heard, and Dr. Heather McLean. Thank you for advancing meaningful conversation. Thank you for, for pushing us into areas of, in some cases, what can be discomfort. Thank you for enlightening us. Thank you for pointing us in the right direction. And, and for some people, this will be the first that this issue is on their radar for people that, that may have an interest in talking about this, but maybe didn't see what Taylor Swift put out in the fall. Um, this could be the first time they're hearing it. We really are grateful for your time here this morning. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You got it. I love that. You know, this show, uh, we want to have endeavor to have real talk and real conversations on issues that matter. And it's, it's great to see this landing with people in the live chat that are feeling challenged. Some of you not convinced, uh, some of you absolutely uh, coming from a, a place of great conviction in the conversation. And we love that where we can meet here and have these conversations. This one in particular is presented uh, by our friends at Canada's Open University. That is Athabasca University. Uh, a world-class accredited online programs and courses. You won't believe how much stuff's going on at Athabasca. Like you want to, you know, do work in in what we've just been talking about here. You want to do some research in sociology. Uh, maybe you want to learn more about artificial intelligence or human resources or communicate. I mean, you name it. Uh, you can find a program or a course that'll fit you perfectly at AthabascaU.ca. No better time than right now to take that degree or maybe even the master's program. You can go to the website for more information uh, and AU a great option with more than 35 online masters and even doctoral programs. And the only commute is to your advice. You need to take some time off. You want to have a family vacation, need a mental health break. Maybe something pops up. Maybe you're looking after a parent. You're never going to fall behind in your studies at Athabasca University. It's, it's designed to fit a schedule that suits your lifestyle. That's why tens of thousands of Canadians across the country look to Athabasca University to advance their personal or professional goals. Also want to give a big shout out to our friends at Friesen Brothers today. We're leaving our Christmas decor up, John. <laughs> We're celebrating alongside our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, the audience members that continue to celebrate through till this next weekend. Friesen Brothers wants you to know at all of their fresh market stores you can expect an all-you-can-eat ukrainian christmas dinner on january 7th and 8th that's saturday and sunday from 4 to 8 p.m it's just 25 dollars per person at all the fresh market stores and all you can eat ukrainian feasts including roasted turkey of course ukrainian sausage a wide selection of sides pierogies cabbage rolls and, and a whole lot more kids can even make their own ukrainian christmas stars you can learn more details online at friesen.com I saw a post from our friends at Kubi Energy, which was really great. Encourage you to follow them on, on Instagram, in particular at Kubi Energy. You'll find them on Twitter, too. They, they answer a lot of the questions that people might have in advance of looking to put solar panels up on their roof. Like, I heard they're useless in the winter. Well, that's old news. That's not the case anymore. You can educate yourself on the tech. Where solar's at right now, the advancements that have been made, like, you don't need batteries in your basement anymore either. Kubi Energy is providing solar energy solutions to power your life. Commercial, agricultural, industrial, residential applications across Alberta and BC. You can get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. We've been talking about saving money, and I know for a lot of people, entrepreneurs and business owners, January is the time of year where you take a look at your contracts. You look at where you can maybe shave a few bucks off what's going out the door. If you're looking for garbage and recycling management, maybe you're a restaurateur, a hotelier, maybe maybe you got a clothing store, whatever it is, if you're in Alberta or Saskatchewan, why not keep it local with local environmental services? You can check out what they do and what makes them tick. There's a great link. Who is local at localenvironmental.ca? Your chance to get to know the company's leadership group, more about their core values. There's not a lot of companies that talk a lot about their core values or what drives them. I've seen it on the wall at local HQ. No BS. It's literally up on the wall in a frame. I love it. Learn more today. Get your quote. See why they can do better for you at localenvironmental.ca. 
And finally, a call to action for those of you that are hoping to entertain in a dream space outside this spring or summer. You're going to want to talk to Eden Landscaping today. You want that water feature up and running by the end of June or July? Might need some permits, especially if they're going to be excavating. Mike and his team want you to have plenty of time. No stress. Let their design team go to work by contacting them today at landscapeedmonton.ca. You can check out their services, their portfolio. Absolutely remarkable projects. It's no surprise they earn the referrals and return business from so many customers. That's how Eden Landscaping is known. They're on to something in the Metro Edmonton region for more than 20 years. Still a family-owned business. You'll find Eden online again at landscapeedmonton.ca. lot to think about on the show today pal yeah i liked it yeah you and i are gonna sign off because we've got a date with sapria devetti we do it's wednesday new uh, episode we, of seriously coming out that's right and so we're gonna take a look uh if you're not familiar with seriously you can find it online at seriouslypod.com it's our guarantee to you that every wednesday of every week uh, we're gonna cut through the noise and make sense of the week's news in 30 minutes or less you can subscribe anywhere you get your podcast you can subscribe online as well it's one of our favorite half hours of the week with sapria devetti that's going to be coming up landing in your podcast downloads by early afternoon of course before your afternoon commute if you're tuning in from the east hey a big shout out to moving wheels news we saw them chiming yeah. in on the chat today joining us streaming the show out of Kenya. It's wonderful to know we have an international audience taking a look at the big issues and conversations that truly matter. The real talk that wouldn't happen without you. Thanks for that. We'll talk tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.